Welcome to the Waterstone Community Church Podcast. We are now in the sermon series of Ezekiel, which is the story of a leader called to deal with catastrophe. When Israel was invaded by Babylon, Ezekiel found himself in exile, living among his displaced people who refused to see what was right before their eyes. God reveals his purposes in some of the most wild and unforgettable images in the Bible. To learn more about Waterstone, please visit waterstonechurch.org. We are located off C-470 in Bowles in Littleton, Colorado. Services are on Saturdays at 5.30 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. So I got to do something exciting Friday night. I got to go to the Taylor Swift concert with my daughter, Aubrey. Anybody else go? Nobody? Oh, come on. Well, at least cheer that I got to go. Oh, there we are. <laughs> Much better. Oh, um, do most of you know who Taylor Swift is? <laughs> okay, all right, that makes me feel a little bit better. Larry last night said, who's Taylor Swift? Um, Taylor, Taylor Swift is a phenomenal performer. I was really impressed with her show, one of the best I've ever been to. She, uh, when you walked in, we got these light up bracelets and every time the music played, it would be color coordinated throughout the stadium, all different colors. I don't, it was amazing. And then they had fireworks that were coordinated too with the music and then constant stage setting that, that changed every song that she had. It just, it was an outstanding performance. But what I valued even more, what I was even more impressed with was the moment that Taylor Swift stopped what she was doing and she sat down on a stool with her guitar and just started having a conversation with the audience. And she started to tell her story, nothing that was kind of the depths of her story, but enough of her story that you got the broad perspective of the joys that she's gone through over the last 15 years as a performer of the um, sorrows that she's had. And she talked about the fact that she takes those emotions almost as if she's written them down in her diary and she shares them with the rest of the world hoping that it will have an impact on them. As I was thinking about that and as I was struck by the fact that her music does have an impact on me, um, you know, I resonate with some of her songs, I realized that Ezekiel does a similar thing. Ezekiel is the prophet that wrote the book of Ezekiel. We're in the middle of a sermon series on that book. And he's the prophet that wrote God's words um, for us to read. He's almost giving us a glimpse into God's diary, into the character of God. Which when you think about it, all of scripture really does. You have all of these different people that wrote down the, the word of God and different entries give us a different perspective. Some talk to us as individuals, some talk to us corporately, some tell us the joys that God experiences. Ezekiel is one that's hard because it talks a lot about the judgment of God. So this morning, we're going to talk through Ezekiel 16. It is the longest chapter in Ezekiel. Whenever a chapter is extra long, the author wants you to pay attention. It's telling us that something is important. He thought that this chapter was really valuable. But the other thing to note about this passage is that it's pretty offensive in places, which also tells us something. Imagine Ezekiel, he's this prophet that has grown up to represent God in a, in a pretty um, boundaried way. So for him to have to stand in front of his peers, in front of the people of Israel and speak some of these crass words, 
must have been a challenge, but it must also tell us that that's important. But some of it's offensive enough that we want it to be sensitive to you as an audience, and so we're only going to read parts of it. Jenny's going to come up in a minute and read through the parts of the passage that I'm going to outline, but I do want to encourage you at some point this week to make sure that you read through all of chapter 16 of Ezekiel, because I don't want you to miss what God is saying to us in that book. Let's listen to God's word as Jenny reads for us. A reading from the book of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later, I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine linen on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck, and I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. You went to him, and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on them, and you offered my oil and incense before them. Also, the food I offered as fragrant incense before them, that is what happened, declares the Sovereign Lord. Then I will deliver you into the hands of your lovers, and they will tear down your mounds and destroy your lofty shrines. They will strip you of your clothes and take your fine jewelry and leave you stark naked. They will bring a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with their swords. They will burn down your houses and inflict punishment on you in the sight of many women. I will put a stop to your prostitution, and you will no longer pay your lovers." Then my wrath against you will subside, 
and my jealous anger will turn away from you. I will be calm and no longer angry. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will deal with you as you deserve because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both those who are older than you and those who are younger. I will give them to you as daughters, but not on the basis of my covenant with you. So I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Then when I make atonement for you, for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the Sovereign Lord, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. God, we are thankful to have the privilege of having access to your word, getting a glimpse into your writings, and getting an understanding of your character. God, this morning, would you give us ears to hear Soften our hearts and allow us to hear your voice. God, would you use this message to transform us and to remind us of your love and grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A couple things I want to tell you about our passage before we jump in. The first is, I mentioned earlier that some passages are written to individuals and some passages are written to a group. This one is written to the group. This is a corporate message. It is a corporate message to Israel that we then can translate to be a corporate message to us, the people of God. It's written to believers. It's written to those who are already following Jesus, um, who already believe in God in the Old Testament example. Um, And it's full of parables, of imagery, of um, things that represent other things. Part of the reason that's so important to recognize is that if we read this passage through the lens of our understanding, A, we we may be offended, B, we may misunderstand what Ezekiel was trying to write to his original audience. So we're going to take some time this morning to unwrap some of that so that we can understand not only what it meant to the Israelites at that time, but what it means for us today. So there's three main parts of this story. The first part starts out with the story of a baby. Verse four says this, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. This is the image, God wants us to have the image of this newborn baby who has just been born, the umbilical cord is still there, and she, in this case, is abandoned. She's born to foreign parents. Um, They're not from that region. And like was what often happened with girl babies in particular is if the baby had any form of um, deformed body part or at times simply because it was a girl, babies were abandoned and left to die. God wants us to have that image because he was trying to communicate something important to the Israelites. And it was this, the Israelites had been rescued by God and they had gotten a bit of a chip on their shoulder. They had a bit of a pride about them where they thought, you know what, now that we're children of God, we're a little bit better than the rest of the people. 
Some of the folks, they were pretty sure they were better than, were the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the Hittites. They were considered foreigners who often worshipped other gods. They were considered to be pagan. And what's interesting in this passage, as you go back and study it, what God is saying is, you Israelites, you were born to the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites. These very people that you despise are the ones who birthed you. So don't think that you're better than them. Because these people that you despised are the very ones who abandoned you and left you for dead. God's trying to knock the Israelites off their high horse a little bit with this imagery of this abandoned baby. But he doesn't leave them there. He doesn't leave them in the mess of of their own birth. He goes on to talk about what he does for that little baby. And the imagery shifts. He steps in as the rescuer of that baby, but then he becomes the spouse. Now, don't get caught up on that because it, it wigs us out a little bit to think, okay, wait a minute. God was this, this father figure, this adopted father who took this baby girl in and then she grew up and now he's marrying her? Ugh. Then we don't want to read any longer. Take that out of your mind. He's really trying to communicate two stories. He wants us to see that God is the faithful adopted father and he wants us to see that God is the loving spouse. So to describe the relationship, the covenant that he makes, he says this in our next part of the passage. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you, I saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you the solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. He's giving us this image of the fact that God rescued the Israelites, but then like a husband, he made a covenant with them. And this this idea of the garment, spreading the corner of the garment over her, that was um, in the, for the Israelites, when there was a marriage that occurred, the husband would spread his garment over the wife. That was a symbol that he was going to take care of her, that he was committed to her and he was gonna take care of her forever. Now remember that this is a patriarchal society, so all of the languages this, in this is gonna talk about uh, what the man did for the woman, but you also need to remember this isn't really talking about a marriage couple. It's talking about God, the male figure, and the Israelites as the female figure. So we're supposed to have this image of God making this beautiful covenant with his people who he's rescued. Not as a sign of that covenant, he then lavishes gifts on her. Our passage goes on and says this. But you trusted in your, oh, here we go. You also took the fine jewelry. You were right, Tara. I gave you the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. He's talking about right before this passage, he's giving us the image that God has given us all of these gifts. He's rescued the Israelites from them being abandoned. He's then entered into a covenant relationship with them. And as part of that covenant relationship, he's lavishing with them with gifts. He's giving them jewelry. He's giving them fine clothing. He's showing his love and commitment to them. So God really wants us to understand that he is a loving, gracious God that cares about his people. That's what the first part of this story is about. We are undeserved people, but he loves and cares for us anyway. The Israelites understood that to be this very powerful image. 
Remember when I said that he abandoned this baby girl for the Israelites to understand that God stepped in and rescued somebody that in their culture would have been the lowest of the lowest, a, a little girl and a girl, yet God took her and raised her up. He's, he's illustrating the incredible value and grace that he has for his people, which is true for us today as well. God has this incredible value for us, and he wants us to remember that those gifts don't come because of who we are, because of what we've done. They come purely because of his grace. Just like the Israelites, there is nothing that we've done. It doesn't matter who our parents were or what culture we're a part of or what part of the world we live in. God's grace is free to us simply because we're his adopted children and he loves us. That's part one of our story. Part two of our story then moves on to tell the Israelites' response to God's love and good gifts. The chapter says this, but you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. You went to him and he possessed your beauty. In response to the husband's covenant relationship, the wife turns around and gives herself away to other men. We need to, we miss the intensity of this. We may feel it a little bit, but God, Ezekiel wants us to feel it a lot. So here's the image. You have uh, made a covenant with somebody. You've entered into a marriage with another person. And as a sign of that marriage, you have given them jewelry and you've given them beautiful clothes. You don't know this, but this person is going out and having sexual relationships with other people. Not just once, not just twice, but it's habitual. It's happening again and again and again because that's the definition of prostitution in the Old Testament. The first time you realize that this is even happening, you find out because you come across a person who's wearing the very jewelry and the very clothing that you gave to your spouse as a sign of your covenant. God wants us to understand that he gave us his undeserved grace and in response, we, re we reacted out of unfaithfulness. This is actually the part of the chapter that's the longest that we cut the most out of because it gets pretty graphic on the description to the people. Remember I mentioned earlier that when that happens, when we're reading something and it's long or it, it's offensive, then doing some research into it is beneficial because it means that that author was trying to communicate something. Ezekiel doesn't want us to miss the fact that the people of Israel were prostituting themselves to things other than God, which means we, the people of God are prostituting ourselves to things other than God. Well, what does that mean? Think back to last week when Nick was talking about idols. One of the things that happened consistently with the people, with the Israelites, is before they became followers of God, they would go to the temples and they would worship other gods and goddesses. They would give themselves away to those gods and goddesses. Even though God had brought them through the desert, he had shown himself to be faithful to them, 
they continued to go and visit these other gods and goddesses, trying to get the things that they wanted fulfilled in their lives. I wonder how we, as a nation, do the same thing. I wonder how often we, corporately, fill our lives with money and power and notoriety as the American evangelical church because we think that fills something in us. But the response of that, the consequence of that, is that our greed and our desire for more has implications for people on the other side of the world. Maybe the children and the young moms and the families who, don't, who are continuing to see death rise in their community because they don't have clean water. I wonder if we also corporately prostitute ourselves to things other than God when we make our number one platform about our politics, regardless of what our politics may be. What do people that don't know Jesus around the world, what is their perspective of who God is and what our belief system is when that's what we land on as a nation? Just like Ezekiel had a message for the Israelites, he has a message for us. God has been incredibly gracious to us, yet we are incredibly unfaithful to him. As a result of that, we move into the third part of the story. Every action has a reaction. In this case, it's labeled judgment. Now when we talk about judgment, oftentimes I think we imagine God on this distant throne throwing down fireballs on us. It does talk about judgment as God's wrath, but God's wrath comes out of God's hurt. Remember, God, when God created things, he created it in his perfection, in his goodness. So anything contrary to his perfection and goodness grates against him. Nick talked about that last week too with the burlap that's like sin is like grating on our skin. It's the reminder that things are broken. God can't live in a space where things are broken because of his very goodness. And so he's always working to bring restoration. In this case, the story goes on to tell about his judgment coming from the fact that he is, um, he, where, do we have that verse? Tara, thank you. Let me read it to you and then I'll explain it. Then I will deliver you into the hands of your lovers and they will tear down your mans and destroy your lofty shrines. They will strip you of your clothes and take your fine jewelry and leave you stark naked. They will bring a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with their swords. We get this brutal image of what the consequence is for the Israelites, especially this line about stoning you and hacking you to pieces. Again, this is imagery for something else. It's the idea that the consequence of any sort of infidelity was stoning someone to death. And it wasn't with little pebbles, it was with great big rocks. What this passage is saying is that the consequence of infidelity is death, but it's not because God wants to see us hurt. It's because he loves us so much that he gives us choices. He gives us the choice to choose between being in relation with him or being in relation with the gods and the idols that we've prostituted ourselves to. So his desire is to have us, but when he sets us free and we give ourselves away to other things, those things eventually kill us. Those are the things that destroy our lives. 
you know, I was thinking about how do we translate this corporately? I think it's a little bit easier to translate this one individually, but because we don't live in a society that works corporately, this one's a little bit harder. I, I could imagine it when we were talking about receiving God's covenant, that he makes that covenant with all of us. And I can even get there when I think about the fact that we have been unfaithful to him because I can think of ways that we as a nation are unfaithful to our brothers and sisters around the world. But what's harder for me is to figure out what's it like for the corporate punishment to happen. Because the implications of that is that if I commit murder and we're all in this together, you're all going to jail with me. And I don't think you probably would like to do that. But God sets that up. He sets it up that, that the Israelites are a corporate nation, and so the judgment for one is the judgment for all. So then what does that look like? Does that change our perspective of community? I wonder if our nation was more corporately minded, would we keep each other accountable differently? Would we care for each other differently? I'm not sure. And the passage doesn't answer that. But what it does tell us is that God was gracious to us, we were unfaithful to him, and the consequence of our unfaithfulness is, is death. That's the story of Ezekiel 16. Do you feel depressed? I do. <laughs> Let me clarify. That's the story of most of Ezekiel 16. And God doesn't want us to miss that the reason that most of Ezekiel 16 talks about this story is because if we miss the implications of what we just walked through, then the last couple passages, the last couple verses, aren't as powerful as they will be when we talk about them in a minute. The beauty of the end of the story is that it doesn't just stop with our unfaithfulness and God's judgment. He throws in a line here at the end. Uh, 59 through 61, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will deal with you as you deserve because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you despite the fact that we're in the marital relationship and we habitually broke the covenant with God, he is committing to keep his covenant with us. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both those who are older than you and those who are younger. I will give them to you as daughters, but not on the basis of my covenant with you. This shame isn't the shame that we talk about. It's awareness. If we're not aware of our prostituting to other things, then we can't change it. And then here's the beautiful part. So I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord. Then when I make atonement for you for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the Lord. Right here, then when I make atonement for you. Let me explain a little bit about what happens in the Old Testament when somebody um, has a sin that impacts themselves or the community. There were natural consequences for everything. Some of them were laws that were put into place. And the law for any sort of infidelity, any sort of affair, was that somebody would be stoned to death, male or female. 
So here, we know that the consequence of death is this stoning to death, but then what um, that person would have to do if, if, it wasn't some, if it wasn't a sin that caused their death, they would go to the priest who was appointed, and he, um, that priest would make an atonement. An atonement is an animal. It might be a sheep, it might be um, another animal, oftentimes a sheep though, and that priest would kill, they would sacrifice that animal in place of the person who had sinned. The reason for that is because when God created the world, he created us in unity with him. We were in perfect relationship with him. And when Adam and Eve, and then us as all of humanity, ate from the garden of good and evil, then when, then when all of creation fell, there was a separation between us and God. The only way in the Old Testament that there was to bridge that gap, or even today, was that somebody had to pay the price for that sin. There had to be an atonement. When the priest sacrificed the animal, that was the atonement. That animal then gave the person the opportunity to come back into relationship with God until the next time that they committed a sin. And then there would be another atonement. Part of the beauty of the end of this chapter is that God isn't talking about appointing a priest to be the one that gives the atonement. He's saying, I am going to be the atonement myself. He's foreshadowing what we know is Jesus Christ. He's foreshadowing that while he loves us and rescues us and is the adoptive parent, he's going to take his one and only son and sacrifice him as the atonement for all of our sins so that we can be in relationship with God, we can be unified with him forever. That's the beauty of Ezekiel 16. If we miss God, that God's gracious, that we're unfaithful, that we deserve judgment, then we miss the beauty of what's promised, and that's the atonement that's ahead. When Ezekiel told this, he kept trying to explain this to the Israelites. He kept trying to say, God is faithful, you're unfaithful. And they didn't listen to him. So then he tried to come back a little louder. God is faithful, you are unfaithful. And nobody listened. So then he comes up with this graphic illustration about a relationship because when we talk about relationship and we imagine what it's like to be in this place with a, with a spouse and that spouse then is unfaithful to us, it, it hits us differently and all of a sudden we understand what we do to God when we are unfaithful to him. And we understand, as Ezekiel did, that corporately and individually we deserve the consequence of that unfaithfulness but he wanted to get our attention, so he said it again. God is faithful, we are unfaithful, we deserve death. And God loves us so much that he's gonna keep his covenant promise and send his son to be the atonement, to be the one that brings us back into relation with God. The point isn't to illustrate all of the brokenness of our lives so that we sit in a pile of shame. The point is to remind us of the brokenness of our lives so we remember that we're in need of a savior. And that savior is coming to atone, to, to atone things and did for us. And will return again at some point to bring us into full restoration with the Father. As brutal and uncomfortable as Ezekiel 16 is, it is a beautiful story 
that starts with a birth and ends with the hope of a resurrection. It's the preview of the gospel. One of the ways that we celebrate this atonement is through the Lord's Supper, through communion. So we thought it would be fitting this morning to do that together as a corporate act of remembering that God made a covenant with us and that despite our unfaithfulness, he continues to be faithful. There's a gal that um, had a great quote that I think is a good setup, Barbara Brown Taylor, as we move into communion, and she says this, when Jesus holds up the cup and offers what is in it as the fluid of forgiveness, he is not talking to people with a short list of minor sins. He is talking to people who will turn him in, who will scatter to the four winds at the first sign of trouble, and who will swear they never knew him. He is talking to people who should have been his best friends on earth, who turn out not to have a loyal bone in their bodies, and he's forgiving them ahead of time, as surely as if he had said, I know who you are. I know you will not be innocent of the blood of this cup, but I will not let that come between us. Let my life become your life through the blood of this covenant. As we prepare our hearts for this time of communion, I want to give us an opportunity to think about the individual implications of Ezekiel 16. And I think part of those implications are recognizing the different characters of God that he illustrates throughout the story. The adoptive father, the loving husband, the innocent one who is angry and feels hurt, the righteous judge, the sacrificial priest. These caricatures, these these ideas of God, these elements of him, they they speak to us in our brokenness. And so as we prepare for communion, I just want to read some places for you to reflect, depending on where you are this morning in your understanding of God and the way that he intersects you. For those who feel abandoned and left on the side of the road like the newborn baby, communion reminds us God is the adoptive parent who is faithful and can heal our hearts. For those who feel alone and long for an intimate relationship like the young woman, communion reminds us God is the committed spouse who is faithful and can heal our hearts. For those who feel angry, hurt, and betrayed, communion reminds us God is the innocent one who understands our pain and is faithful and can heal our hearts. For those who have been wronged and wonder if there is any chance at justice, communion reminds us God is the righteous judge who hears our cries, is faithful, and can hear our hearts. For those of us who have prostituted ourselves to the things of this world and sit in shame, wondering if there is any way out, communion reminds us God is the sacrificial priest who is faithful and can heal our hearts. Communion isn't reserved for us when we have it all together. That actually defeats the whole purpose. 
Communion is for us in the midst of our broken, messy, unfaithful lives. Because God made a covenant promise with us that he's continuing to keep. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the hope of Ezekiel. To learn more about Waterstone, please visit waterstonechurch.org.